0: Welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan, and I'm here with my co-host, Gavia. Hello. And this week we're going to be talking about Preacher, uh, which is a show on AMC based on a comic book series. We have not read the comics, so we're just going to be talking about the show, although we do know a little bit about those comics. Uh, The show started a few weeks ago. It's around halfway through its season, and it's starring Dominic Cooper as the protagonist. She's kind of... um, An angsty angsty man who's come back to his hometown to work as the preacher there, which was his father's job when he was a child. And then uh, Joe Gilgan as an Irish vampire who's wound up there through strange circumstances. Uh, And Ruth Negga as Tulip, who is Jesse, the main character's ex-girlfriend, and they have a history. So this is like a drama drama show based on a comic book. There's some supernatural stuff going on, but it's definitely been presented as kind of like a prestige drama show uh, to go along with AMC's Walking Dead, which is obviously a huge hit. So I have some mixed feelings about this. We're going to get into some of it. Do we have anything else to say about the comic context first, or do we just not know anything?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I've I've never read Preacher. I think one thing that I find quite interesting about it is that like obviously this series is extremely American. Like it's steeped in Americana. It's sort of this southern gothic story about Texans. Starring an Englishman as the Texan lead, an Irish woman as his Texan girlfriend, and then an Englishman as an Irish vampire in Texas. And the comic is written by an Irishman and drawn by an Englishman, or possibly it's the other way around. But either way, it's like British people who are making this comic that's extremely American. And it, because I like don't know a great deal about like small town Texan life, it makes me really curious to know the level of authenticity, because they've gone a long way to have this sort of aesthetic in the show, which is like immediately obvious when you've seen it. Uh, But there's like one particular detail I think stuck with me and Morgan when we both watched the first episode, which is the way that the preacher looks. So obviously it's Dominic Cooper. So he's got like fluffy hair and he's like sexy for a preacher. But he's also wearing a dog collar. So he's wearing like an all black Johnny Cash outfit and then dog collar. And I was like, do Americans wear dog collars? Like, unless you're a Catholic priest, obviously. Because for me, that's something that I associate with British vicars, but not something (laughs) I would associate with a small town Texas preacher. And it makes me wonder if that is a thing or if it's literally like an English comic book artist who designed the character like that. And they were like, we have to keep it for the show. (laughs) So Texans... (laughs) please tweet us or something and let us know if that is a thing.
0: <laughs> well, I, I immediately informed you that it is not a thing. <laughs> like, that's not, that's not.
1: Yeah, it's just like a weird um, thing to keep in the show, but there are some things they've changed like a lot, you know? So who knows?
0: <laughs> I mean, that is quite a small detail. Obviously. Oh no, it's not but, something
1: I cared about. But I was like, this oh, is no.
0: interesting. <laughs> but I think it is sort of um, symbolic of the whole project and, I It entertained me a lot. I mean, I was, I'd was i seen the promo materials and stuff, but watching that first episode, I was sort of like, hmm, this, this is interesting. What's going on? Um, we should say that the show was developed by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, which everyone was sort of fascinated by because this is obviously out of their wheelhouse. They mostly do sort of bro- comedies, many of which I have enjoyed. Actually, I like Seth Rogen a lot, but this is not the sort of thing that they are known for. Um, And then Sam Catlin is running the show, and he is a sort of veteran of Breaking Bad. Um, And a lot of the Breaking Bad people are working on this show. I believe it's filming in Albuquerque also. Albuquerque actually has a pretty decent TV and film industry. So they have that kind of stamp of authenticity in terms of just like the Southern culture thing. Not that New Mexico is Texas. But it is interesting that there's this kind of mesh of cultural stuff going on. Um, I'm obviously not from the South, so I can't speak to the specific authenticity of a lot of the detail. But they are definitely going for strong Southern vibe uh, in the show in a old... slightly
1: kind of surreal way like it's, yes. it's definitely like southern gothic it's a little bit stylized but I think that really works for the show.
0: Although it is a bit funny because Dominic Cooper's accent is okay but he definitely doesn't sound like he's from Texas. Oh my god I
1: like, was so kind of anticipatory fine. for this show because Dominic Cooper's general non-specific american accent for the marvel franchise is just not good right so i have every respect for dominic cooper as an actor but his ability to do an american accent is just shocking so for this i was like he's gonna have to do like a proper texas accent so because my expectations were so low when i watched the pilot i was like well done young man you have almost seemed plausible. Yeah, whereas I watched it and I was like, mmm. <laughs> I mean, there's some scenes where I'm like, oh dear. So I think it's better than like the accent he has as Hyred Stark. Rhythm, I mean, Nega, on the other hand, is great.
0: This is one of the interesting things about this show. So there are sort of three central characters and a pretty large ensemble around them. But the three central characters are the ones I described at the beginning. And of those three, uh, Dominic Cooper as Jesse the preacher of the title, is by far the least interesting as a character, and I think the sort of least effective performance, which is sort of a problem for the show. I wasn't shocked, actually, that his performance wasn't great, because I really, really like him as an actor. I love him in the History Boys, which is a sort of breakout thing, like a decade ago um i really like him as howard stark despite and also sort of because of his terrible accent and i've liked him in other stuff but his skill as an actor basically is being super super charming and like sexually charismatic and in this show he's like very laid back and angsty and that's it and so, even from the promotional like clips and like trailers, I was sort of like, this doesn't seem like. <laughs> oh god, the promo
1: for this show was actually really bad, right? Because before I saw the pilot, I was expecting to seriously hate it because the premise is not super interesting to me. It's quite generic. So the idea is that you know the preacher gets kind of inhabited or possessed by this demonic slash religious power, so he has this ability to tell people what to do and they'll obey him, which we'll go into a bit more later. And there's sort of other supernatural elements of the show. There's a couple of characters who you find out are angels, you know, and there's a lot of kind of weird shit going on in the town. And then the other two characters are an Irish vampire and his tough criminal ex-girlfriend. And I'm just like, this doesn't look good. The trailers really kind of emphasize how gritty it is. And there's like, oh, there's like an angsty guy as the protagonist. And I'm like, I've seen this show a thousand times. There's already some like specifically very similar shows Constantine and Supernatural and that kind of thing. The show itself totally I found far funnier and more kind of quirky than that.
0: Yeah, well, I think I think I like this less than you do. Yeah. I think it is struggling in a way to figure out what it is. Like one of the emblems of that is the fact that we're five episodes into a 10 episode season and nothing has happened yet effectively nothing has happened Like no progress has been made yeah i that really, was that all. was
1: something i found really fascinating in the pilot right because i love the pilot because it was really slow moving and it didn't explain anything and it kind of introduced the characters and focused really heavily on just you know getting into them and the town and that sort of thing and you don't even see what his power is i think the pilot ends with him being possessed basically he barely uses his powers until the fifth episode but it's a 10 episode season and like there's not a strong plot arc through that. I don't really have a problem with that, but I can see why some people would. In terms of storytelling, that's not what you should be doing because they don't really have an antagonist and they don't have a goal for his character.
0: Well, yeah, the characters in general, they I haven't seen much in the way of an arc for any of them yet, which is an issue. And I noticed this in the pilot and was sort of like, well, pilots are really hard. I mean, they're just... Oh, pilots are just impossible to to write. I mean, there have been a few I've seen ever that are great, but usually they're quite bad because the task of a pilot is just like you have to do so many things at once. You have to introduce all the characters. They all should have beats that sort of explain to the audience what their deal is. The protagonist needs to have sort of a problem or a question that he or she needs to solve. Like, you need to get across the tone of the show. Like, there's just a ton of stuff that needs to be accomplished, and shows almost never do all of it. So I'm generally pretty forgiving of pilots, and, you know, you think, okay, I'll give the show a couple of episodes, and maybe it'll improve, or maybe it won't. But the pilot of this show, like, there wasn't really a a question or a problem that Jesse needed to answer, and you definitely got a sense of some of the other characters, but it felt very stagnant to me. But I thought, you know, okay... I'll I'll keep watching. And I am going to keep watching through the end of the season because I'm kind of curious about it, and there are certain things I like a lot. But basically, Tulip, the girlfriend, and Jesse have had the same argument like seven times about how she thinks he should give up being a preacher and go back to their like old criminal ways because that's what he really wants to do. And she says, no, I've become a good person now. And they just have the same argument like over and over and over and over again. And there's no movement on this. And then uh, Cassidy, the vampire, I think is so much fun. I think he's the most fun part of the show. Yeah, and he has the most interesting concept, right?
1: Because the whole idea
0: is that he is
1: just openly being a vampire. And Jesse just is so self-absorbed that he doesn't know. So he's got a vampire living with him in his church. And Jesse is like, I don't know what's going on. And also there's people who are after him, and he's like 100 years old. And that's all like really interesting stuff, which they're not really examining to any degree. He's just sort of a comedy character. Well, right, he's just like hanging out. <laughs> yeah, which is fine because he is, like I said, like very funny. But it's not good storytelling.
0: Right, it doesn't. I really want to, make to know more. <laughs> sense. And then Jesse is just like angst man. In the middle of the show, like he's got daddy issues because every single comic book protagonist man has daddy issues, which like I just don't care about at all. Like I don't give a shit. Like yeah, okay, his dad was a preacher and he was kind of like I don't even I was barely following at that point. Like seems like maybe he was kind of mean, but also he was a moral man. Like he beat him sometimes. Whatever. Um, Yeah. So I I like like Morgan
1: said, I definitely like the show more than you do. But basically, all of the flashbacks so far have been really pointless um, because there's there's kind of two flashback arcs um, in the first five episodes, and one of them is just sort of simple flashbacks to Jesse and his father, who was killed when he was a kid, and was the preacher and was quite a tough guy. And there's like no reason for any of them to be there. You could probably replace all of them with like a thirty second flashback, just letting you know that his dad was a preacher and was like quite a hard ass, and that's all you need. And then the other set of flashbacks are historical and they're kind of old west and they're about this lone rider who comes into town and is. It's not super clear because they've not finished that arc yet, but they are so detached from the main story of the show that it's really hard to be interested in it. And because the main character is this like silent, gruff dude with no real facial expressions, it's just sort of like generic western material, right?
0: Yeah. and... A scene with that character opened this last episode and was so violent and gross. I don't mind violence and stuff, but I was sort of just feeling like, why is this happening? And was just like staring at my phone the whole time, sort of like waiting to get back to the actual story. And there's other stuff on this show that's really sort of violent, but in an interesting and fun way. Yeah, there's, there's a like scene. a really
1: amazing chainsaw scene. I was <laughs> just going to say it was great.
0: <laughs> I was into it. Like, that's, you know, fantastic. But this was just sort of like, wh- why? Like What function is this serving? Except being like, you know, we're a show with violence. Like, that's not the same. And I think with a, with a show like this, where mm. part of the aesthetic and the edge, if you will, is that you are going to show some very explicitly violent stuff, I think there's a danger in sort of falling too far into that. Like, there's a very careful line you have to walk. And they sometimes are going too far, I think. Not even so much, like, going too far in terms of showing a specific thing that seems, like, too tasteless, but just in terms of sometimes there can just be too much or something that doesn't seem like it's serving the story. Whereas, again, other moments feel like they actually have character impact or just are fun like that chainsaw scene which was great and actually feels like there's a real threat to the characters even though you know there isn't like in that chainsaw scene one of the jesse is sort of under threat and like of course they're not going to kill off dominic cooper he's the main character of the show but it feels like there's actually like whereas this was like this dude we don't care about is like getting beaten up in a gross way and also there are a bunch of like Native American scalps being like, displayed. Yeah, I was sort like, of, like it was
1: super, super jarring, because actually we should talk about that now, because the way they've decided to kind of cast it and portray race in the South is unusual, and that they just haven't tackled it. And then there was just this super jarring moment in that flashback where like someone just has like a handful of Native American scalps, and it's like, whoa, what the
0: fuck? And in these sort of flashbacks to this Old West guy who I we still don't know who he is. There are a couple of shots of a bunch of Native Americans hanging from a tree having been lynched. And I assume that will be dealt with at some point. And obviously that is there's an implicit commentary there about um like the colonization essentially. And that ties in, I think, with a scene in the present day where a character played by Jack Earl Haley, who owns like a big corporation of some kind. They may specify what it actually is. It's a- a, it's called a meat and power. But oh, it's, it's, right. a,
1: it's like it's a slaughterhouse basically, but it's yeah. it's meant to be sort of more of a conglomeration.
0: Yeah, and he is buying up like massive tracts of land around the town, and basically buys out what seemed to be like the last. Native American couple's house um, and then pays them a bunch of money. And like you see, sort of the house being destroyed. But those two actors, I don't believe actually get to say anything in that scene, maybe one or two words. I don't remember, but I remember watching it and sort of being like, of course the point they're trying to make is that this guy is bad and that he's sort of buying these people out from the land where they've been living. But the way it's depicted is that they are literally silent in
1: this yeah Yeah, there's several recurring characters in the town but they're not really two of them like I don't think there are people you see in the background of church scenes and stuff like that Yeah.
0: and then you have this like gelping stuff which is just like unpleasant you know and there's a way in which I feel like they're trying to make a good point about like these white people coming and being bad but that doesn't really work if it's just this sort of superficial thrown on commentary without any deeper engagement with anything. And basically, the rest of the characters on the show are white, except for Tulip, who is played with by Ruth Nega. And in the comic book, that character is white, and they changed it with casting. And they seem very proud of themselves for having done this, which, like great, that's fantastic, and Ruth Nega is great on the show. But as far as I can tell, so far the writing doesn't actually engage with this at all. And in a way, I kind of feel like, you know, maybe they had the scripts written and then they cast her. I'm sort of pro-colorblind casting in that way. But it then feels weird because you have this entirely white town and then this one black character and then there's no engagement with any of this like maybe i'm forgetting an extra or two, but i don't remember having seen anything and this whole setting is in this place that was characterized by genocide essentially and obviously now there are also a lot of hispanic people living in texas and you do have a lot of like very white communities but it seems like this would have been an opportunity to engage with some of this whether or not the comic does that um, and I does. don't think
1: it does, and also the comic was written in the '90s, so like right. this is a 20-year-old story written by British people.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. So it's like it's not surprising that, that that's the case, but we some time has passed <laughs> since then, um, and this is being made by a bunch of white men, so it's not shocking that this is the result they've you know come to, and I don't think it's sort of like the main problem with the show preacher isn't really a show that i'd pick out and be like look at this
1: show which has like a lot of problems with race it's more like it has issues and it's also chosen to kind of have an unusual treatment of race and that they proactively were like we're going to do some race bent casting and then not acknowledge real world prejudices so like either you can have a show where you're like intentionally trying to set it in an alternate universe without any racism which they're not because they've got this whole thing with like the backstory and the violent history of the area and that kind of thing, so you can't have both.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just very odd. Um, let's just get all of these negative comments that I have out at once. <laughs> um, I feel like the gender stuff is—I found it very frustrating, and it's—it's it's again in a sort of weird place where you have this female character in Tulip who is so great, like she is just awesome. She's total badass. The intro of her in the pilot is the best part of the pilot for sure. Um, She is like running from someone or like, I mean, she's in a car, but like she's sort of like on the run from someone. Um, and she winds up encountering these two kids and like they help her build bazooka or something yeah. like it's great. And then basically to save money, they, the camera follows the kids into like a basement and then they're just listening to the sound of her just like destroying this, you know, guy, and then come back up and there's just like Carnage and these little kids, one of whom is a girl, are just looking at her like, oh my god. (laughs) Like it's great. It's such a good intro. Oh. And so she's great. Ruth Nega playing her is fantastic um performance wise. But her whole story is like tied into her relationship with Jesse. And as I said, like, they basically just had the same conversation over and over again about her trying to get him back, essentially, by saying, you should give up this virtuous preacher thing and be a criminal again. And he won't do it. I mean, obviously, at some point he's going to. But for the time being, he keeps not doing so. And it's just... So frustrating and boring. And at a certain point I kind of started to feel like, why is she so hung up on this guy? He's so dull. Yeah, that's like really it's kind of difficult to
1: get that in the show. Because in the first episode, it seems really compelling. And then I think Tulip's character arc, like it doesn't even really seem to me that it's sort of like, oh, they've really failed the female character, which happens in a lot of shows, because it's sort of the same problem that happens in a lot of elements of the show, which is that they've got her to be really interesting and awesome on a scene by scene basis but they've not figured out what her arc's meant to be so like morgan said you've just got this repetitive kind of conflict with jesse and then like her goal For the show is to get Jessie to leave so they can take down this guy Carlos who screwed them over in their kind of previous life together as criminals, right? But they don't really have her do a great deal of stuff episodically by herself. It's more like she'll have cool scenes rather than having, you know, like if you're not in a prestige drama, you'll usually have a single issue arc for each character, like if you're watching, you know, like a crime show or whatever. And I think this feels like someone who is really bought into the idea of slow-moving, character-focused, long storytelling arc TV writing, but like hasn't quite got there yet because they don't know how to fill up each of the episodes and keep the thing flowing.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very good description of what is happening. And with that character in particular, like, she has so much more chemistry with Joe <laughs> like A ton more chemistry. But then in this last episode... They have a kind of plot together because she's found out that he is a vampire and is sort of like, what's going on here? Which was great. Yeah, Yeah. it was so much fun. And then she kind of seems like maybe she's going to give up on Jesse, which I assume is not what's actually going to happen in the long run. And he agrees to sort of help her in this quest of vengeance. And then they have sex at the end of the episode. And I was like, why? Why? must we do this like it what? was super weird like, right because for the whole
1: of the episode he was kind of really over the top hitting on her in like a comedy way not in like an offensive way in a way that was like legitimately funny and yes. she was shooting him down and there was like no sign that either of them were actually interested in each other right you do not get the impression that there was like an unrequited situation in either way and then they there was like a scene where he kind of hits on her again and it's like oh we're gonna have sex or something or no she's like oh but we're in love kind of sarcastically and then they just have this sex scene. And it's not even kind of portrayed as her jokingly saying we're in love and then having sex because she's horny. It's more like she's genuinely not enjoying the sex at all. And they're just, right. like, fucking in a car. And it's like, why is this scene here? Like, it doesn't feel characterful at all. And I'm assuming it's meant to be like, oh, she's having revenge on Jesse. And it's
0: like, no, what? <laughs> right. Like, it made me feel like, of course you know, the only way that this female character can interact with the other male characters is by sleeping with them. But if it is supposed to be a revenge thing, they have not established the... Like, one, that's annoying as a plot device anyway, but also they haven't established those relationships well enough that that would make sense. Um, And, like, it just felt so out of nowhere. And when I said that they had chemistry like there is a little bit of a sexual charge but more just like when they're in scenes together it feels really fun and like they bounce off of each other in a really fun way and I sort of I tweeted something being like this like they should just have a show together and like boo Dominic Cooper, whom I love, off this show because it yeah. would be so much more fun. And then they did that and I was like, why? Why must we why must we keep doing this? It's it like... just makes me dread
1: the prospect of a love triangle because it's not a love yes. triangle with any kind of basis at all. They've really not set up a plausible romance between Tulip and Jesse. Because it makes sense if she needs him for like a specific skill set he has because she wants them to jointly get revenge but it's more like she has such loyalty to him that she knows that being a preacher is bad for him which is correct (laughs) he's clearly ill suited to this terrible job but also she's willing to just spend like weeks on end in this town just to like get him to leave they haven't really illustrated that they have this really passionate thing and it kind of just makes me think of So many shows and movies written by men where instead of doing a romance, you have the afterthought of a romance where you just have like, oh, look, this guy is really dedicated to a dead wife. Or look, these people used to date before, but now it's just this really terrible thing where they're desperate to get back together. But like, why? You know, (laughs) you need to like actually illustrate this because... As a viewer, I can not get into it. Even though, as we've said like a million times, Ruth Nega is fucking incredible in the show. She's so good.
0: <laughs> yes. Um. And like, I have been sort of shitting on this a lot. And I, I don't think it's a particularly great show. But I would like to emphasize, like, she and Joe Gilgan are both fantastic. Like, the thing that's keeping me watching is the fact that the two of them are so good. Like, they're just so great to watch that... It's and I and I am kind of curious to see where it goes, but like that's sort of to me worth the price of admission. But then that makes it kind of doubly frustrating because they have these two actors who are giving such fantastic performances, and that's hard to come by. Like it's yeah. really you don't get that that often. And so the fact that they don't appear to know really what to do with them, but uh, I guess we could use that to go into Jesse's powers and what they actually consist of, Um, which is also kind of interesting and I think gets back to one of the problems that a lot of these stories and movies and shows sometimes have, which is the sort of lack of rules around superhero powers. I mean, he's not a superhero, but you know what I mean? And this is something that, seems clear that they're going to get into more in future episodes, which is back to the problem of the slow pace of the show. But heretofore, it seems like basically he can just do anything. What he can do is he can tell people to do things, and they will just do them. And it reminded me a little bit of um, the problem with X-Men Apocalypse, where in that case, literally, Apocalypse can just do anything with no barriers. But with this, it was sort of like, there needs to be limits on what a character can do in order for it to be interesting because that's where conflict comes in. Like if a character can just do whatever, then the story can't stop anywhere. And in this last episode, he is basically like overuses his powers and tells a bunch of people to just do stuff. And the point clearly is that he's going too far, but I didn't find it that interesting to watch because he was basically just, like, dictating to a bunch of people, like, do this, do that, do this, do that. And I sort of was like, this isn't dramatically that thrilling to me. Okay, fine. Um, But I'm interested to see whether that changes or whether you, you know, and there were some sort of indications that um, that would maybe become different but i think you had another thought about this which i thought was interesting
1: yes well i actually have a couple of thoughts about the powers thing and the first is that when he kind of first realizes that he has this power where he can just tell people what to do there's no kind of spider-man moment where he's like i gotta test this he doesn't really express enthusiasm for anything which is kind of a weird characterization point because he's not meant to be sort of like here's a chill laconic guy it's more just like he just doesn't express the level of interest you should have when you discover that you have a godlike superpower. So he doesn't like <laughs> investigate this option at all. You just see him starting to kind of use it on like a quite a low level basis, but not in the sense that he seems like he's being cautious. He's just being like really thoughtless. And that's making me interested to see how that unfolds in later episodes because it kind of gave me a bit of hope for the slow moving nature of the story. Cause it made me realize they may well be building stuff up that's gonna come up really far down the line. Because if you're only having an episode four or five, you're having him, like, effectively defeat the person who seemed like he was going to be the villain of the series by just telling him to do something. Clearly, that's a stepping stone for something more interesting in later episodes. And they've renewed it for a second season. So, like, clearly they're confident about that. But I was like, you need to have had this happen earlier. Um, But, like, the point that I'd mentioned to Morgan just before we started recording is that basically they're setting up the protagonist slash hero of this show as the villain from Jessica Jones. He has the same powers as Kilgrave. He can tell people what to do. In the fifth episode, it, they kind of finally portrayed that in the way that I think it should be portrayed, which is that there's a character who is like legitimately incredibly traumatized by having this happen to him. Because um, there's this really unlikable character who's like his hobby is civil war reenactment. Um, there's like a subplot where they think that he's been beating his wife, but actually they're in like an S and M relationship, and he's basically kind of portrayed as like an assholic small town bully. And there's a scene where Jesse kind of corners him in a bathroom and makes him hold a gun to his mouth. Um, And at the time, it's kind of like, wow, he's like discovered he's got this power. And then in this episode, you see that this guy has been fucking traumatized, right? Because like he's an asshole. But this guy has like done the equivalent to what Kilgrave does in Jessica Jones to him. And that's literally what he's doing, right? And it's, I'm curious to see whether they manage to like reconcile that, to what extent they examine that in a moral way at all in the show. Presumably they will, right? Because that's the premise of the story. But I don't know, man.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. And I was thinking about this because in this episode, they do get closer to you know, the moral issues in the way they hadn't at all. But you're also clearly supposed to find him sympathetic and and the protagonist and hero of the show so to what extent he'll become an anti-hero figure i have no idea but at this point i i don't find him explicitly like terrible or unlikable i just find him as yeah, because said, he doesn't really have any ambitions like all he really yeah. wants to do
1: he's like he feels a sense of duty towards following his father's legacy and making sure the church popular this isn't something he personally has like a passion for and he doesn't he's not actually a good preacher but he wants to do this because it's like his duty so now he's got this power he's like i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna do it in a really bad and inefficient way because like it's the only way he can and then his like long-suffering kind of assistant is just like seems like a really bad idea (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but um this still kind of goes back into the whole slow-moving situation because um I remember like when the show was announced obviously you get like a little press blurb where they describe what the show is and they were like the premise of the show is it's about this small town preacher and like blah, blah blah the side characters and he gets this really impressive superpower and then eventually he decides to go on like a mission to find god right and it's like the show hasn't illustrated that premise right yeah. like even in the pilot episode you definitely get like a really great introduction to the characters and the setting but like I would say halfway into the first season if you had asked me to describe what the show was about without me having read the show's like Wikipedia page, I would not necessarily be able to tell you.
0: Well yeah, and I remember reading some interview with Dominic Cooper like before it premiered, like a pretty long interview he did on the set, I think, with some journalist that they were then running later. And he was talking about how there was all this stuff about like questions of faith and like deep philosophical stuff going on in the show. And like of course he has to say that because that's how they're pitching it. But based on watching it, I don't know that they've really gone too deep on that stuff just yet. Like, that hasn't been my experience watching. Like, the sort of presence of God or not, and the angels and then whatever is residing inside of him definitely seem more like plot devices than deep spiritual ruminations, which is fine. But
1: yeah, I mean, it very much falls yeah. into the same type of story as, like, Good Omens or Constantine or Supernatural or any of these kind of semi Christian religious, like, American God stories, right? There's yeah. a lot of them. Like, and I think Preacher is, like, a good example. Like, it's a show that I've really enjoyed so far, despite the kind of pacing issues. But they've not really done anything that I would describe as particularly innovative.
0: No. Which is interesting because people talk about that comic in a reverent way. Yeah, I mean, I think the comic is quite different. Like, I think the comic, first of all, I
1: think the comic's quite a lot more extreme, and also it's one of these things that's often described as really unadaptable, and I think it might be partly because it's a road comic, there's not a plot that they can adapt, and that may have caused directly the problems they have with the show now, because they can't be like, oh, here's volume one, and here's some stuff that happens. Like, I suspect it might be impossible.
0: Well, yeah, and I mean, you said earlier that it was... 20 years ago that it came out, and basically since then people have been trying to adapt it and failing. So when it finally was announced that it was happening, going to be on TV, everyone was like, "Oh my God!" Like Sam Mendes at one point was attached to do a film, which like, can you imagine Sam Mendes doing this? I like mean, that is just wild. Like no, I mean what? I think who
1: you want to have is Robert Rodriguez. You have Robert Rodriguez directing that movie.
0: Yeah, but like people have been trying for a long time to figure out how to put this on screen. Um, and clearly it's a challenge. And they, as you've said, like it's a road comic and they basically decided to start earlier when he is still in town attempting to be a preacher before he's given up. And I think that they're going to, my impression was that by the end of the first season, that's going to be done with, although I don't know. So they're not going to be in this town forever. essentially. And then
1: intriguingly, they're going to become much more similar to Constantine, which obviously was cancelled, and Supernatural and American Gods, so that means that American Gods, Supernatural, and this show are all going to be running concurrently, and all of them are going to be American road trip religious mythology stories.
0: However, I think they are shooting for a slightly different audiences, <laughs> or at least different, uh, different critical receptions. Which of course is silly because it's so much just in the marketing. And like interestingly,
1: Supernatural, I would say, has an infinitely more compelling emotional arc than this show, right? I mean, Supernatural is, in almost every other regard, not as good, right? Because, you know, obviously we've seen Supernatural, but, like, emotionally, very good. Excellent characterization, excellent relationships. This show doesn't really have feelings very much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it gets back to the whole idea, which is always so funny to me, of, like, prestige television, right? Which is a genre in many ways. There are certain conventions that a lot of drama shows, not so much anymore, but for a period of time followed. And it wasn't that they necessarily were stylistically the same, but there was something, some sort of intangible thing that linked them together. And I don't necessarily know that the show has any of that, which isn't a criticism of it at all. It's just that, like, it, it's not really anything like Breaking Bad, just um, by being made by the same people, which, again, isn't a criticism. It's just a fact. But when the network... And it's on the same network that Breaking Bad and Mad Men, etc., aired on. Presents it to the press as like this is our serious television program, right? Like everyone sort of reviews it and treats it as a serious television program. And it's sort of like this is a bit artificial. <laughs> it doesn't mean that it can't be good or whatever, but you know, there's a there's a sort of silliness to the way that things get.
1: Treated. Yeah, I mean, I think basically Dude. the thing. That differentiates it from non-prestige drama is just that they are not having single episode storylines, right? Yeah. There's now like a lot of things that are like perceived as lowbrow episodic shows that have really high caliber casts. So like the only difference this time around is that I'm assuming they have a somewhat larger budget because they've got like a fuck ton of Walking Dead money to spend.
0: Yes. And then
1: (laughs) actually before we were recording this episode, we were kind of looking up the viewing figures. And um Walking Dead has between 12 and 14 million viewers on AMC and Preacher started off with, like, 2.5 million and now has, like, 1.5 million.
0: Yes. Although we also noticed that it was up against Game of Thrones and the NBA finals, so I suspect that (laughs) it may be getting some online viewership. And it's just funny because the networks, the mainstream media, have figured out that genre stuff sells, right? So, like, they're all now trying to capitalize on that, which is not a bad thing. But I don't know that they've necessarily figured out the best way to do that. And I, again this isn't is not is not actually a criticism of the show, even though I think obviously it has a lot of problems, but I don't really quite understand how you could watch this from like a network perspective and be like, this is gonna be a blockbuster hit. It's really slow. It's really weird. Not that it necessarily is gonna be a huge flop, but it doesn't have a lot of the hallmarks of something like the Walking Dead, which has a bunch of zombies and stuff, or Game of Thrones, which obviously is just an anomaly. I mean, it's the most popular show ever, um, and has all this, you know, drama and intrigue and people killing each other all the time and big fights. Like this is just a totally different thing, which isn't bad, but not all, you know, comic book things. I mean,
1: my assumption was that it was because it had Seth Rogan behind it, and he managed yes. that he got like his foot yeah. in the door. Because I was just thinking, like, if someone had pitch this and they were like just kind of you know a mid-level tv writer who wanted to get in like a new show and it wouldn't have happened but like because it's got seth Rogen behind it and like i definitely don't mean that in the sense that it doesn't deserve to be on air because like it's significantly better than like a ton of other comic book shows um also it kind of made me wish that constantine had had the same treatment because while i'm not familiar with the preacher comics like broadly the reactions i've seen from from preacher comics fans have been Obviously, they had to change stuff, but this is like a really great adaptation and it's kind of loyal to the general tone of the books. Whereas, as a Hellblazer Constantine fan, the TV show of that was just pain. Morgan's <laughs> laughing at me now because she's like, she had to listen to me complaining about this every week because it's like, if there is a Hellblazer adaptation, I, by law and by medical compulsion, must watch (laughs) So I'm like terrified of the prospect of the CW maybe resurrecting Constantine for a second season. So like weirdly, Constantine did have David Goyer behind it, who's this really well-known comic book adaptation guy. Like he made Blade. He was involved with, if not all, then at least two of the Dark Knight movies. And he makes a lot of DC Comics adaptations. And for some reason he was like, we're going to do this like a sort of, Shitty episodic detective show set in America where he like Constantine drives around in a car and they removed like all the political subtext of the comic which is like fifty percent of the appeal of the comic <laughs> and just made it sort of about like a man gruffly shooting at ghosts. <laughs> and if you kind of if you're willing to kind of have this really lackadaisical plotline <laughs> situation with preacher and really lounge around exploring that world. If only they could have done that with Constantine in an appropriate setting.
0: (laughs) So before we go, I think we have one additional note about this show, which is that Joe Gilgan, whom we have been discussing, aside from being a superb actor, gives the most amazing interviews of anyone in the business. Oh my God. (laughs) So...
1: Some listeners may know him already from Misfits, one of the best British sci-fi genre TV shows ever. I highly recommend watching the first two seasons. Um, it's about a bunch of teenagers who are all, they're doing community service, they're all kind of like petty criminals and stuff, and they all get like hit with, uh, bolts of lightning that gives him superpowers but it's kind of it's like an un-hero show so like yes. they just do what a bunch of teenagers with antisocial behavior would do if they had superpowers and Joe Gilgun kind of was added in a later season when they'd shaken up the casting a bit and I'm like so excited to see him in
0: the show because his personality is amazing <laughs> I had seen him I think only in Pride because I watched Mis- Misfits for a while and I'd stopped by the time that uh, he was on. Pride is this tiny little indie movie about um, the miners' strike in Britain and then a gay activist group that raised money for them. And he has this very small role. He's very good in it. He's very quiet in that film, which is not what he's like in real life. Um, And I didn't I think initially register that this was who he was. And then uh, a mutual friend of ours was reading some interview with him and was just like, Morgan, oh my god, and started sending me massive chunks of it. He is just where to even
1: begin. It's at Comic Book Resources and it's an American interviewer at a film festival interviewing a rather hungover in joe gilgan <laughs> and they're talking about how mad max was their favorite movie last year and joe gilgan had gone to see it with seth rogan um evan was his name the showrunner sam catlin and here's him saying dude i fucking loved it i had some real mixed reactions during it but it was constant entertainment i was exhausted when it was over i left i was like fuck <laughs> my chair was moving and shit Sam looks at me, and he's like, it's fucking brilliant, isn't it, man? Fucking not enjoying that. I was really baked. I was like, it's just like my energy, Sam. I don't fucking like it. Fucking wind in my face. Like, what? (laughs) I didn't know where it was coming from. It was fucking hard work. I got off with sore core muscles and shit. It was hard work, but we had the best time. And as we came out, we lost his car. But that man's amazing. He's a fantastic actor. And then the interviewer is like, was it stolen? And Joe Gilgan's (laughs) like, It wasn't stolen, we just fully lost it because we're actors. We don't think about anything but ourselves, like magpies. We wander around like, oh shit, there's something shiny over there. And when you're looking at your shiny thing, you've not locked your car or retained any information as to where it might be or how to locate it once it's been once you've finished fucking around with your shiny thing. So before you know it, your car is lost. Your fucking car is lost. I do that a lot. <laughs> Unfortunately, I do not have Joe Gilgan's mannerisms or accent, but
0: the whole thing is like that. What a gift. What you can tell the American interviewer is just like, what is going on the whole time? Because he is just, like, so English. Like, ah. oh, my God. I watched a little interview with him at some, like, South by Southwest thing. It was, like, the three of them. It like was, like, five minutes long. And he was just going on and on. And Dominic Cooper and Ruth Nega were just, like, laughing. I think he, he was talking about how, like, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg were, like, really great and professional. He was like, I didn't think they'd be good. I thought they would be shit because of marijuana. I was like, they were really great. I was just like, oh my god. There's no filter whatsoever. And the interviewer there, too, was kind of just like, oh my. It's just beautiful.
1: Truly like, has the
0: gift of the gab. Yeah. Your publicist must just constantly spend his time, being or her time, being like, why? But yeah, we will link to some of these. But like, I recommend just going to Google and investigating because there is a lot out there that is (laughs) i would love to interview joe gilgan
1: i i want you to i don't know why i'd ask but i think it's kind of like just start somewhere and allow the flow to take you where it goes
0: well as you can i think if you read this interview that's clearly what happened it's also really quite long and so i get the sense that perhaps. The interviewer was just like, "I'm just gonna keep letting you letting you talk because I'm I think not it's
1: kind of a blessing because it's like, it's he like... Is, you know, he's a supporting character in a TV show that just started. Because like, if you're trying to interview Dominic Cooper, you'll have a publicist there who's like, "You have 17 minutes,
0: <laughs> right?" <you know. laughs> Anyway, that's not directly relevant to the content of the show, but I feel that it's important for people to be aware of. This. And it certainly spills into his performance, which is extremely lively. Yes. Yes. You can really... I feel like having that information, watching it, I was like, ah, oh, yes, I understand now. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's about all. I okay. believe
1: so. And next week we have a very different episode for you it's almost thematically a sequel to the brexit episode last week which was kind of what dislodged preacher for a week um we are going to be discussing the movie children of men which is a great favorite of both of ours and it's now cited very regularly during sort of conversations about how dystopian real life is especially in Britain and it's something I think about often because I'm sort of morbid and I am fascinated by dystopias. And also I live in Britain and I see this stuff unfolding around me and it's really interesting to sort of rewatch this movie and be like, this was incredibly prescient, as well as being a really good yes. movie.
0: It was a decade ago now. Yeah. Ten years. So uh, that is one of my very favorite films also, so I'm really excited to talk about it. So if you haven't seen that, we really recommend doing so before next week. And yeah, we will we will see you again then. Thank you for listening. If you haven't, we would really appreciate if you left a rating or review on iTunes. It's how we find new listeners. Otherwise, you can find us at overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, or on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. See you next week. Bye.